In this episode, it's all about a different kind of aerial photography. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, I have Paul Seibert. He's going to be talking about aerial photography, but not in the way you might be thinking about it. You know, none of that newfangled drone stuff. Paul is old school. We're going to explain and he's going to explain to us why he's chosen to put his butt in an aircraft and his aim and aim his camera out of the window versus sit safely on the ground with his thumbs on control levers flying around getting shots. Paul Cyber, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Frederick, what's going on, man? Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, uh, thanks yeah. for <laughs> again. Right. So again. You know, so every we were just talking about this before I press record. Every now and then, every now and then, with these with these podcasts, as you know, you're a podcaster. Something just decides. Yeah, I don't feel like working like I did yesterday. <laughs> and we got that. Yep. So we recorded an entire version of this episode. Uh, what yesterday? And yeah, the best episode ever. It was the best episode ever. This one will be better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, this, it, you've, now we know all the secrets, so we can just lead to them. Um, right. Yeah, but it didn't come out right. So there was, a, there was an audio issue. So here we are again trying to get this pristine This Week in Photo quality audio for you. Nice. Yeah, well, you know, like in 20 years when the technology comes around that we can recover it, it'll be like, you know, an archaeologist finds the hidden digital files and... Uh, previously unreleased yeah, so. <laughs> yeah exactly no i'm deleting I, I cover my tracks man i don't know about you <laughs> delete. you know history is is owned by those who write it so i'm deleting yeah. all of my mistakes <laughs> nice nice so uh let's dive in man so uh aerial photography well before we dive into that let's let's just hear a little bit about your background and what kind of led you in to this world of photography and then you know the segue into the the aerial stuff that you're doing yeah sure um so i started getting into photography i don't know about 13 14 years ago um i had a trip uh out to new mexico uh with my wife uh for a friend's wedding and i had a little canon power shot with me uh eight megapixels and i had a you know like a three inch lcd screen so i was living large at the time um and uh, I was really just kind of struck by the landscapes and how different it was being a East Coast boy 99.999% um, of my life um, up until recently. Um, I had never seen landscapes like that before. Um, and I had some experience with uh, film photography back in high school and um, it, just, uh, it just didn't turn into anything then. I was into other pursuits um so yeah so i started taking pictures and remembered how much i loved it um and then after that trip that little that little power shot came with me everywhere in my little my little belt holster and uh i was out and about all the time with my camera until um you know the feedback on facebook because this was kind of before instagram was going yeah um um the you know you start to get oh wow you should really do this or you should think about selling print so i went and i got some advice from a friend of mine um person who who's really the only photographer that i knew um and uh you know she was giving me some pointers you should do this framing and depth of field and blah 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 and um and i kind of just reached into my bag and pulled out this little camera and i said well this is what i'm working with and she's like oh my gosh well then go out and you know get yourself a dslr and so that's what I did, and I slowly but surely started to um, learn as much as I could, shoot as much as I could, and then as um, I'm a little bit older than the current generation using social media, so to meet up with people was something that was a little bit different and yeah. uh, out of yeah. the ordinary, um, but it was taking that first leap was probably uh, the one of the largest... Um, uh, what do you say, learning curve flattener, um, seeing other people's perspectives, being around other people who are shooting and seeing things differently than, than myself, um, what proved to be invaluable. And so community has turned into such a large part of who I am as a creator. Um, 
so yeah i mean that's the that is if we were in the empire state building i may have held you up in the elevator pitch of telling my story a little bit yeah but, uh, yeah yeah but that was good worth it. <laughs> the doors the doors are just now opening so you're good, yes. <laughs> you're good. welcome to the 86th floor oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that so so tell me about uh i mean i've got t- i've got a ton of questions still uh that i'm going to re-ask you uh but the 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 path that you took of self-education or ojt versus a more traditional you know butt in seats in a classroom with an instructor explaining f-stops and shutter speeds and all that stuff to you did you ever have the draw to like you know what i'm really not getting this inverse square stuff square law stuff i need to go to uh you know a traditional school and sit down and get all that book learning in or you know or did you feel like you never needed that yeah um you know to be quite honest with you it was this was the most um progressive way that i've ever learned anything i come from a family of educators my dad was a teacher for 45 plus years my sister's a teacher i i offer workshops and um and and other uh avenues i was a musician so i did private lessons as well so teaching by the book was uh and and is important um but yeah i didn't i didn't do that i um this was probably before youtube became a place where you could learn everything as well um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so my first steps into it um we're kind of refamiliarizing myself with what I learned in my film photography classes way back when. Um, I had an understanding, but I, I read some books. And then once I kind of felt like I understood the concept, what I would do is I would go and say, okay, I'm going to take this chapter and I'm going to go out and try and shoot it, um, which is a, a way that I teach my workshops as well. We, we talk about the concepts. We talk about the principles involved in certain elements of photography whether it's composition or it's just technique um and then we immediately follow it up uh with some practical application so that there's immediate kind of that you need that muscle memory you know Mm -hmm. um i'm someone who needs that hands-on type of tactile learning um i feel like it's the quickest way for your brain to absorb uh what it is you're trying to understand so yeah that was really my um my way of learning and then, like I just mentioned, you know, being a part of a community where you have some folks that are out shooting what, you know, oh, you shoot the kind of like what I do and maybe we should link mm-hmm. up sometime. And um, I'm a I'm a straight ahead shooter. I've always been like that kind of like you you got you're on the nose and sometimes to my detriment, I'm too much on the nose. Um, so it was really great for me to see other people's perspectives. Like I would go home and I would feel like I got the shot and. I'd go through my pictures and I have 30 shots of the same frame. Um, and then I would see my friends posting stuff up and it would be completely different angles and perspectives. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I can't believe that was there. And I just, I'm, I was just, my feet were p- firmly planted to wherever I was without any thought of anything other than that, um, that, that straight on shot. And so that helped me to expand my perspective and, and, and vision of the world um, in regards to photography, just because I would still go and get my one shot. But once, once I got the shot, I would, I would leave my camera and I would kind of walk down the line to see what's everybody doing? Why is he down mm-hmm. there? What's this providing? And so slowly but surely, my own perspective started to expand. Um, to Isn't that make crazy? It, yeah, it really is. It really yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's like that... Um, it's like, you know, I'm from an earlier generation than you, right? So back in, in my, when I was learning photography, there was no such thing as community, right? There was no such thing as it was, you know, you, you, you get the shot and we're shooting film, right? So you get the shot, you process it, you toil over it in the dark room and you, now you have your photo and then maybe a couple of people will see it, right? Because there's right, no, right. there was no glow. We have like a global community now, whether it's, you know, whatever social media flavor you want to, you want to ascribe to, but we have a, a global community of, of, of people that can look at your work. And I think the, the cool thing about that for new photographers or for people that are wanting to get better at their craft or even a different genre is 
you got a bunch of people that can give you feedback. It's like a I, back then, I didn't understand the importance of these boring camera clubs, right? Why would I go to a camera club and talk about stuff? You know, and now I understand. You go because you want feedback so that you can you can get better, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's so important. Um, and the, and I think that um, it's so interesting because we think that we we know it all sometimes in the moment um and then you realize how little you really know um so there a, a, a touch a, a healthy touch of humility um helps the learning process uh be much more about the discovery and the expansion of what you know as opposed to um criticism that isn't received as constructive or helpful mm -hmm. um it's yeah. all in your again it's it's all about perspective. Um, so if we're not uh, ready and willing to see other perspectives and expand how we're seeing something, chances are there's not going to be a whole lot of growth. Yeah, especially from especially from non photographers, I think, because, you know, you can show non photographer a mediocre shot and they may not know what's good and bad. But they'll, you know, hey, it's in focus. I like the colors. That's a that's a great shot. You're great. You should do this as for a living, Paul. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. But if you show that same shot to a pro, they're like, what were you thinking? You cut the feet off and this and that, you know what? Next, go back and try it again next time. No, no amputations and try to get your exposure right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's yeah it's it's funny that the differences um in what people see and how people see um and then there's you know those in between people that know enough to be dangerous right 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 no exactly you know um before we dive into this aerial stuff uh i yeah. want to just chat a little bit about the the work that you're doing with mpb and photoville uh can you talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely so um this past summer, uh, I received an email from MPB um, outlining uh, that they are doing a project with Photoville, which being from New York is is a large, it's a big thing um, yeah. to be involved in any way, shape or form in Photoville. Um, and so when they approached me and asked me, would I be willing to submit some images um, for a banner that they're they have um, an incredible placement in Brooklyn Bridge Park, right underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, mm -hmm. um, and there were some stipulations. There were, um, because I'm an aerial photographer, they, they like the idea of um, things being from an elevated perspective. Um, but given that MPB is about their interactions with people, their need to, they wanted to have some people and they wanted to have some nature. Um, so it was this kind of really interesting um, concoction or, 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 or just mixture of all these things that I had to think about. So, you know, first and foremost, I think, um, I, uh, one shot that always comes to mind is there's this elevated perch, um, on the east side of Manhattan, um, for when, uh, Manhattan Henge happens. Um, mm -hmm. so you get kind of, you get the natural world and this kind of celestial happening as it crosses 42nd street and the avenues in the summertime. Um, you get, uh, people, you know, walking down the cross streets or as out in the street photographing it themselves. And then, you know, so there's that that kind of element of nature, city and a little bit of an elevated perspective. Um, there are a couple other times where um, I use some examples uh, in New York. For instance, I was on an uh, observation deck um, and I was giving actually a workshop um, on a, just how to shoot sunrise and mm -hmm. on my drive in i realized that you know oh gosh we're not gonna have any clouds and it's gonna be a little bit <laughs> kind of boring today so like in my like good morning everybody speech i i said to them you know hey guys uh, let's really kind of i know we don't have a lot of clouds out there so what we're gonna do is we're really gonna take our time and try and kind of highlight the the directional movement of the light this time of day and how it interacts with the buildings and if there's any haze in the air that can kind of show the movement from the source to where it falls off and how it kind of intermingles in the buildings we walk outside and there's this incredible low fog event where this observation deck is 
above all of that. <laughs> so we have buildings kind of poking out. And as the temperature started to change, it actually got thicker. So as the light increased, the, 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 the difference in the thickness of the fog increased as well. So I have a shot where there's, there's this one single guy uh, on this observation deck and it's completely surrounded by these clouds and just off in the distance you see you know one world trade freedom tower um sticking out of the fog um it was really an incredible morning um a couple others that i <clears throat> i took i well one that i took some artistic liberties uh with being a recent transplant out here to colorado um, I came to learn that uh, in Boulder, which is about 20, 25 minutes from my house, there is um, this section of the front range of the Rockies called the Flatirons. Um, and if you know anything about New York, you know that famous building in New York is that kind of triangle-shaped Flatiron building um, down 23rd Street. And so what I did was I, I waited for the right time of day to kind of get the light to hit the flat irons the same way that it was hitting in an existing picture of the flat iron building that I have. Um, and um, I blended the two. So from the, so if you're looking at the, the, the picture from the left side of the frame comes um, the flat iron mountains. And then as they are, they're kind of angled. Well, I have to do it this way, I guess maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> as, they're, as they're angled, um, they uh the the flat iron building comes out from that that angle um and it's blended together um and then the other kind of image of note was that uh well uh on my uh, I, I think i've been here only for a couple of weeks and i have a friend out here who's a pilot and he said he needed to get some hours on a certain aircraft so he's like hey do you want to go for a flight i was like sure yeah he's like you know we'll get some breakfast afterwards or whatever and it sounds great so we're flying and we're a little bit east of the front range and out here it's prairies and cornfield if you're not in the mountains so kind of looking out the window and all of a sudden I'm, I'm realizing that like why why can i read this cornfield and as we approach <laughs> i i realize that it's a corn maze um and it is a corn maze and it says um i'm reading it as and it says you know, proud sponsor of the um, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Um, and here in New York, Tunnel to Towers Foundation, um, which actually helps people nationwide, um, it just happened to um, happen because of 9-11. And the firefighter was uh, leaving Brooklyn and came mm -hmm. through the uh, Ucary Tunnel, ran to get to Ground Zero to help his, his fellow firefighters. Um, so yeah, here I was uh, two weeks out of New York City and um, seeing this complete connection back to my life, lifetime, you know, uh, hometown in the middle of a a Colorado cornfield. It was a, a literal sign. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> and to only be able to see it from the air um, and having no idea it was going to be there, like it's just the, the, is the, yeah, it was that was, your, that was your field alignment. of that was your field of dreams moment right there. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, <laughs> literal field of dreams moment. Yeah. Man, that, you know they're, they're, that's that's awesome. Are you are you digging Colorado more than New York? That's quite a shift, right? It's yeah, it's well, <clears throat> I, I I can't I don't know that I've been here long enough to say that I'm digging it more than New York. It's yeah. it's obviously a hundred percent departure. Um, the speed of life is much slower, which, um, admittedly, I'm going to have to get used to. Um, molasses versus fire hose. <laughs> yeah, like molasses in January is more like it. Um, so, yeah, there's um, everybody is really um, respectful of speed limits out here, um, which is amazing. Um, hey, you haven't heard one person say, I'm walking here, I'm walking yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, I think I've, I've been here for three months. I think I've heard a horn being honked at somebody, you know, maybe 10 times. Uh, yeah. Time. And, you know, in New York, you can hear that. That's how we communicate. You know, uh -huh. yeah, it's Morse code. Horn honking. You know? <laughs> it's um, Morse code. <laughs> yeah, in Colorado, it's probably like a polite little beep. 
you know, yeah. you get off your phone and make your turn, right? And yeah, there, it's like, like get off your phone! <laughs> yeah, the light was green and now it's turning yellow. Would you mind moving through the intersection? Thank you. You know, <laughs> I'm back there, like, what's going on up there? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You got to calibrate down, and you're like, who is that wild man? Yeah, I think I think like the first like four days I was in Colorado, I went to honk my horn, and the funniest moment was my wife is just like, my hand went up, and she's like, don't you dare. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it is most certainly beautiful. Um, this has been a busy summer, I think, as most creatives um, can attest to. Mm-hmm. We're all sort of on this kind of making up for last year um, type of schedule. So um, as much as I've wanted to get out and explore and get my feet kind of dug in um, out here, you know, business versus exploration. Business comes first in our in our line of work, especially because there comes a time of year where the business is a little bit more quiet uh, during yeah. the winter time. Right. So um, so you have to kind of. You know, as they say, make hay while the sun shines. So that's right. Um, that's that's right. what I've been doing. I'm, I'm, I the the sight of the front range of the Rockies is never lost on me. Every single day, if I'm heading down to the gym or something like that, and I just am facing right towards it, I'm, I, you know, I can't believe I live here. That sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so it's really, um, yeah, it's really special. It's beautiful, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to learning um about this landscape and where to be and when to be um yeah so yeah that's great that's great yeah it's always exciting new places and you know just kind of figuring it all out you know if it's a permanent relocation just kind of figuring out hey you just the normal human stuff where's a dry cleaner where is right. this and where's that and where's the ups store you know all where's that barber shop you know like, yeah where where's supposed to go <laughs> Exactly. What's a good barbershop? Who should I avoid? You know, all yep. that. Yeah. Um, let's, Paul, let's switch gears into Ariel. Let's, 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 we've been, we've been sitting on the tarmac for a while. It's time to get in the air, right? So, absolutely. So, and I teased at the beginning of this that you, you made the decision or, or you're currently, you, I'll let you explain it. But from my perspective, you were, you've been shooting traditional aerial photography, the, the traditional way, i.e., the photographer in the plane doors or in the helicopter doors open and shooting out of it like, like it's been done forever until the advent of drones and the popularity of consumer accessible drones but now we have that but you're still doing it the traditional way tell me tell me about that and why yeah sure um so i think i think first and foremost um there were two things right i'm i'm a I own a small business. I'm the only guy, right? So if I go through dry periods, there's a there's a certain amount of budget uh, restrictions that you have to adhere to in order to make sure that you know uh, roof is over your head and food is on your back. And for me, drone was a luxury. Um, mm-hmm. But also, with that being said, uh, you know, um, you know, I'll, you said I'll you com- said roof is over your head and food is on your back. I think food's on your table, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it in Colorado. You are pretty yeah. close, you know. Yes, yeah. I mean, I just gave you way too much insight into my personal life. So, <laughs> what you do on your own time, Paul Zyber, yeah. is hey. up to you. <laughs> Judgment-free podcast. So, yeah, anyway, totally. yeah, yeah. So the chili dog eating contest off of my back um, canceled <laughs> for 2021 due to. An outrage from the public. Um, Here you go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, being in New York, um, there there are a lot of flight restrictions, um, and I am someone who um, look. I like to follow the rules. I like to set a good example for other people. Um, I have a, I have a somewhat of a large audience on social media, and if I'm collecting images irresponsibly or illegally. I'm endorsing that behavior to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. even to a certain degree. I am endorsing it because I'm doing it. I'm participating in it. So um, there are, you know, literally millions of people walking the streets of New York. And um, we all have heard and have participated in um, some sort of drone catastrophe um, mm-hmm. where 
the drone decides to no longer adhere to your direction or your will. Um, and in New York, if it bangs into a building and then drops, it could hit somebody. And yeah. you're talking about a thousand, fifteen hundred feet. And you know, it's a weapon. Yeah, at that point, it is a it's a asteroid. Right. It's a safety. It's a safety concern. Um, and so, um, with that being said, those are the two main reasons why I haven't gotten into drone photography now because of the relocation and that there's a lot more open space um, outside of obviously national parks um, that I can fly a drone. Um, I'm definitely looking into that. Um, mm -hmm. However, the reason, the main reason why um, I'm shooting out of helicopters is because, you know, five or six years ago, actually six, we're coming on almost seven years now. Um, I had an opportunity to take a flight with a friend of mine who was a photographer and he was doing an article for um, for an aviation magazine, and we were going to do what's called an air-to-air -air shoot. So he was going to shoot our our helicopter that was being, you know, presented in front of the kind of iconic New York landmarks, um, and I'd be capturing him as kind of, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, like B-roll, um, you know, of mm -hmm. his helicopter. Yep. Um, so, yeah. We had the shoot and it was amazing. And as soon as I got down, I mean, like I was, You're that was it. I was, yeah. I was ready, um, to go back up every day, um, you know, for as long as I could. Um, See that that's where so this, like doing, doing aerial photography as a business versus, and then like I, like I said yesterday and when we recorded this, I'm a hobbyist, you know, I have a, I have a couple of drones an older Mavic and a Mavic mini and I enjoy them. I like taking them out. It always feels like science fiction when I'm up there flying and how stable they are. Cause those things are stable enough to do long exposures from the air. Right. right. right? Yeah, yeah. And so it just feels really like going from film, you know, to being able to do that is just, you know, I feel like I'm living in the matrix. Um, but when I, when I, when I like speaking to you, I'm thinking, man, and having and I'll preface this with having done aerial photography in the military as a combat photojournalist, we used to uh, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, now Vandenberg Air Space Force Base. Space Force. Sorry, Vandyland people. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but we used to um, hang out at UH-1Ns and take take video and photos of rocket launches because Vandenberg is a rocket launch base where they do rocket tests and satellites and SpaceX now does a lot of work from there. Um, but I remember all the effort and planning that went in just to go up to, you know, just for our hours. This is military where, you know, different kinds of rules there. Right. So, right, right. And I wasn't paying a dime for anything, obviously. I'm just saying, uh, hey, where do I sit and when do we take off? You know, that was <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it, but you, fast forward to Paul Seibert, you, when you're doing a pro job, I'm assuming you got to worry, you know, you got to do your photographer's ephemeris stuff. You got to know where the sun and the moon and the clouds and the weather and the pilot has to be there on time. Anybody else in the aircraft has to be there on time. Fuel costs, pilot fees, all that stuff to get the shot versus with a drone, you know, it, you could still do all that planning, but it's more serendipitous in between. You could just pull over and say, oh man, that's a, the fog is rolling in. I want to get that shot and then launch and right. get the shot, get back in the car and go home. So yeah. reconcile that part of it, you know, the cost expenditure for getting the shot versus, you know, not to make it a, a you know, a versus a drone thing, but what are the costs associated with doing traditional aerial photography? Yeah, I mean, sure, you're you're talking about, um, you know, dependent upon your carrier and the type of aircraft they have, you're talking about, um, you know, just a, just an hour flight can range, you know, you can have a thousand plus dollars difference dependent upon the carrier um, mm -hmm. um, and what type of services they offer, what they can do for you. Um, um, so I would say that um, in New York, um, a flight could be anywhere between 800 and almost $2,000 an hour. Um, wow. And that's the difference in aircraft. That's the difference in insurance. Um, that's the difference of, you know, how much they're paying. Like you said, pilot fees, how much they're paying their pilot, how much they're paying for fuel. Um, the, you know, 
that part, the business side of it, um, is going to be, you're going to have to rectify that on your own, you know, whether or not, um, you could also pay, you know, 150 bucks and be in an aircraft with four other people, Mm -hmm. which I'm not, I'm not, I don't want that anymore. You know, like (laughs) I, I spent some time working for one of these, uh, these, uh, photo flight, um, helicopter companies out of New Jersey. And yeah, I did have an opportunity to, grow exponentially during that time but it was always on someone else's dime if that makes sense Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so uh, it was an extremely unique and incredibly valuable time for me um, to be able to learn and grow Um, and if I was a step ahead of anyone um, during that time as far as my learning went and my shooting from the air by the time I left that job, I wanted to be ten steps ahead of everybody else. Um, because yeah. if I didn't, if I didn't u- utilize as much as I could that time um, to learn um, and to understand where I am and what the light is doing, because I there were times when you know I would be up every day, so I would see it change. You know, mm-hmm. I would say, oh, you know, it's you know, even in, we're we're coming into autumn, right? Fall foliage, so. You know, I would say, oh, you know, another week and these leaves are going to be good. They're starting to pop around here. They're starting to pop around here. But so it's I was afforded the luxury that would take someone much more time if they were just doing it flight by flight Mm -hmm. um, to understand where the light is, what's happening. Um, And it allowed me after I left and started to um, put together images for um uh, an upcoming book that's of mine that's coming out uh, in March that allowed me to understand on this day I need to be here I want I want to reproduce this shot or I know that around this time of year this is what happened here right. and it usually happens because you know if the sun is out and there's a little bit of humidity then it provides this relief and the sun goes behind the building and all you're seeing is light and then a silhouetted building it's amazing um, all these things that I learned through repetition through that, um, I would say the luxury of repetition, of repetition, um, it, it, it allowed me to, to grow and to understand where to be. Um, yeah. And then yeah, and living there, right. I mean, just, just absolutely. being a, being a resident and just getting your coffee every day and seeing things and knowing that, Hey, around this time of year in central park, there'll be ice skating and, you know, and the shadows look ridiculous at this time of day, you know, during this time of year and from the air, they do this. So being able to understand that. And I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, the traditional aerials versus drone aerials and, you know, specifically in New York City, the the radio traffic in New York City has to be unprecedented, right? So for a drone to be able to navigate that and keep its secret or keep its its uh, connection with its base station from, you know, DJI stated, you know, in the case of DJI, their range is like five miles for this this little tiny Mavic. So I can't imagine flying something, you know, that's this, that's that weighs less than this, <laughs> even a mile over New York City with all those cell phones, all that Wi-Fi, all that police radio traffic, all that stuff. It's got to navigate through that rat's nest. So I think in the end, doing it the way that you're doing it is why we see so few of those kinds of photographs, right? Those kinds of photographs over New York City because it's expensive, it's hard to do, and not just any old, you know, dude with a Mavic Mini can send it up, you know, while he's having coffee at Starbucks in the corner and get the shot and then come land and go. It takes effort and planning. So I just want to put that out there because that's, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't care about rules. I'm just going to find my drone and get the shot. You know, yeah, you could do that and potentially hurt somebody or get in trouble. But the correct way to do it is the way that you're describing it, you know, for a town like New York. Now, in Colorado, you'll probably see a lot of drones out there, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's completely different. You're in a completely different environment. Um, If your drone goes down in a field somewhere or on a mountain, you know, it's, it's, not as directly detrimental to human life as it would be um i think obviously there are some 
you know, some environmental concerns um, that um, that can lead to questioning whether or not it's safe. But, you know, you're talking about there's a, you know, a lithium ion battery that if it falls and crashes, it could leak and it could get into water sources for animals or whatever, you know, or like start a fire. With, yeah, yeah. All that we're dealing yeah. with, we're dealing with, um, you know, um, environments that are, that are wild and protected. And, um, I think as creators, it's, it's, it's really important for us to, um, to try and do our best to, to leave it the way we found it. Um, or better it's right. yeah exactly and it's and it's i feel like it's that's one of the curses of social media as people are finding these places that used to be locals um local favorites these little holes in the wall and little nooks and little beautiful spots and once a spot gets out then the people flock to it right yeah. and there's different levels of awareness and concern um for the environment um, a simple tasks such as staying on a trail, um, as you're in these kind of fragile, especially up here, you get to a certain height and you're walking in tundra and, you know, you don't necessarily really want to be walking in tundra because it's, it's, it's delicate. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, little things like that. There's the difference between does it impact, do I see an immediate impact? No rather than like a drone falling and hitting somebody or crashing into a car or doing mm -hmm. whatever there's mm -hmm. an immediate impact there but if you see repeated behavior time after time after time in these protected places you start to see to the detriment of what we're doing um just to get a picture for some likes for some exposure or whatever it is um so yeah there's there's a level of responsibility that i think we all need to um we need to be aware of that yeah. we have that um yep. especially when you have a larger audience or any audience for that matter um because some you know you could have 500 followers and you know 50 of those people that follow you could want to go out and get that shot and you know yeah that's a that's a responsible people can change something forever oh yeah. they can destroy it yeah yeah like locusts so it's like that's that's a that's a hard one, right? You're like, okay, look at the secret spot. I've hiked for three miles. I found the right. secret opening, and the sun is right there. Look at the valley, and there's deer, and you know, and you take a picture and you post it. You know, if you if you share the GPS information, then you know there's a chance that some people will see it and come there. And then next time you go, there'll be a crowd there. You know, trying right. to get that shot. So, do you share the shot? Do you share the shot stripped of its GPS information and not tell anybody where you took it, or do you you only share the photo or enjoy it yourself right so it's right yeah and that's like a completely different thing right because now you're talking about something that's cultural and psychological over just kind of you know um yeah. back in the day that's all you used to do right that's what and i used to do like you, hey you subjected to someone's slideshow check this out you know like, <laughs> yes. like oh here we go like mm -hmm. you went on vacation to you know sheboygan are you kidding yeah. me and i had you know a hundred slides i have to watch yeah i mean yeah, yeah i mean now you feel as though there is some level of um necessity to share to overshare yeah. um and um yeah i think that's definitely a personal choice um i understand both sides of the coin i feel like i'm a i'm someone who can see the benefit of sharing where i was um but also there's a part of me that's like i don't know if all of you can handle the responsibility if i do share it so i'm gonna or do i just keep it for myself yeah um, yeah and so um it really yeah it's 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 really an interesting conversation that would be yeah. like a great round table conversation no, for sure. Yeah, like, what do you what do you do? Yeah, maybe we'll make that a future TWIP roundtable conversation. Yeah, you know, I wanna I wanna before we wrap this up, I wanna get into gear a little bit and uh, I wanna understand what your loadout looks like. Uh, you know, I know it may vary depending on what the the client wants and the end result and all that. But generally speaking, when you're leaving the house and you know that you're you're heading to sit down on one of those aircraft and go get a shot, what's with you? What's in what's in your bag and on your back? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So I am a, I'm a cannon shooter. Um, and so one of my bodies is the Canon uh, R5. And the other one is uh, Canon 5D Mark IV. Um, and normally for daytime flights, um, I would say, you know, unless something has happened to my lens, I'm 100% of the time shooting 16 to 35 and 70 to 200. Um, mm-hmm. 16 to 35 to get those kind of, you know, if you're looking out, you're seeing the, you know, the panorama, the vistas, and how, um, how so much humanity, especially in New York, is stuffed into this little, little neck of, you know, an island, um, and how it interacts with how it's constricted naturally right mm-hmm. so that's always of interest to me i love that kind of that combination of the natural world um interacting with how man has kind of fit themselves into uh to make things work um and then the 70 to 200 obviously uh is for those detail shots or those compression shots um one of the great things about flying above new york city is i get to see some of the architectural details through a 7200 that hardly anybody else gets a chance to see so sharing that is always exciting to me because a lot of these the crowns of these buildings are incredibly ornate and so much thought and planning has gone into it and we you know if you're just walking down the street and you look up and you're like oh yeah there's another thing with some glass on it and that's kind of okay i guess and you keep it moving um but to see those kind of finishing touches, the turrets, the, the mm-hmm. crowns, the little little pergolas that are resting or the clock towers that are on top of these older buildings, um, that's, that's uh, the fun part for me is discovering something that I've never seen before. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if it's an evening flight or something like that, I switch out for, to, to primes because, I, you, you know, you're in a moving aircraft. There is no, there are, there's, you know, I'm not shooting on a gimbal. There's no tripods. There's nothing like that. It's all handheld. Um, so you want to get as much speed as you can out of a, uh, you know, out of your equipment to keep the digital noise down. You know, obviously these last couple of years we've, we've fallen into an area where we're starting to get these technological advances that these tools that we have are now providing us with, um, such incredible low light capabilities and dynamic range um that it it it's finally like when you see something and you can shoot it um at night uh handheld and get the shot and then still be able to recover things without there being an overwhelming amount of noise um Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's like you know what a time it is to be alive it's crazy it's really amazing it's a kind of yeah. magic right? it is. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah man. so so okay so then the last step so you've out you got you got the shots you're landed you're back to your home office what 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 are you doing post-processing wise are you a lightroom guy capture one guy photoshop camera what, what does it look like yeah um i am definitely i'm i'm you know, a Lightroom Photoshop guy. Normally what happens is I get home and I'll, you know, I keep all my images on, uh, externals. Um, so just for protection sake and backup and all that kind of good stuff. Um, yeah. that's important. I feel like at some point I'm going to have to go to a server based thing just because the size of the pile of hard drives that I have is <laughs> offensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't get them wet at night man i'm telling yeah, you <laughs> no, that's, it. that's why i moved to colorado it's 300 days of rain and it's like a desert so we're in good shape good. um uh but yeah i dump into externals and then i import to lightroom and, I, and what i do is i basically kind of do my uh histogram adjustments get everything kind of evened out um recover some of the shadows that i need and tone down some of the highlights depending upon what it is i'm shooting um Obviously, the more contrasting um, light situations like sunrise and sunset um, require a little bit more time, a little bit more extra care to kind of to 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 recover some of, you know, I, I, I shoot for highlights. Right. So if there's any color or anywhere, I want the color in camera and mm-hmm. then I'll deal with the 
I'll deal with what I have to deal with after the fact um, in my post-processing. And then I then from Lightroom, once I've kind of gotten somewhat squared away on the direction that I'm seeing an image is moving in, I'll pop it over to Photoshop and I'll do kind of more of the in-depth light shaping and color work. Um, I try to do as much with the light to accentuate the color rather than do a lot of, you know, um, extra color work. Mm -hmm. I will definitely bring down some of the luminance or I will um, add a touch if, if I feel like it's needed. But um, most of my color work really comes from adjusting the light um, in the image. Um, so once that's all said and done, uh, bounce it back to Lightroom for a few final touches and then export it and yeah, it's yeah. gone. How do you, how do you get those images to the client? Are you doing this traditional Dropbox share or do you use something more involved? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I would say probably 90% of the time it's a we transfer type of thing. Um, okay. That yeah. to me, um, I really like that just because of the fact that when you send it, you get a notification that it was successfully sent. And then when they download it, you get a notification that it's been downloaded so i know within however long it takes them to get to that link that they have downloaded those images and like my job is done um it's good i will yeah. also first for i will say like for family and um shoots and for weddings which I know we touched on yesterday, but we didn't really touch on it. That as a freelancer, I, I you know, that's you do all that a wide yeah. range of what I do. Um, so uh, what I will do there is I will set up a client gallery on my website um, where there are prints that can be purchased. Um, oh, if they okay. Choose. And you and do it all locally. You don't. You're not using any software as a service like Pixie Set or Smug Mug or anything for that. No. So my my um, website is Smug Mug. So, oh, okay, gotcha. Um, gotcha. So yeah, okay. it provides me with that, which is really like, as a as a as a. I've had that since I started, um, and mm -hmm. I've understood that that is a valuable tool to be able to offer prints, um, and to be also also able to offer a gallery, um, so that people can see and draw from, um, should they so choose. So yeah, so yeah, I'm, uh, that's that's how the website is set up. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that is cool. Yeah, we skipped over that whole part about you know that that you are a multidisciplined, you know, and we even talked about content creation and how that was kind of a, a commoditized term these days, right? right the right. the phrase content creation sounds like, you know, you're on an assembly line. Time to make the content. You know, yeah, not an it. artist. Yeah. 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 You're, you're you're pumping out boxed content. Um, yeah, which I feel like, um, I, I don't know, I've always been someone who's kind of bucked that kind of, look, <clears throat> let's talk about something very quickly, because uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, but yeah. let's just we, talk about We have all the time that you have, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice, okay. Um, so, like, oh, I just wanted to, there's, oh, there's also this kind of, um, I feel like uh, looking down on when people go to these kind of these classic spots, right? The postcard spots um, and how um, after a certain point, people are like, oh, I just don't go there because everybody goes there and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, um, I also want people to understand that when you're starting out, like it's OK to go to these places. We've all gone to these places and we go to these places because of what they offer it could be yeah. a great view it could be a, a quiet location it could be something that like is inspiring to other people um but regardless of the why these quote-unquote classic places are classic for a reason mm -hmm. um so to be able to go to these places and capture it great get the shot but what i always try to encourage is if you go and you get the shot, okay, recognize when that part of the shoot is done and then try and find something that makes what you're going to share your own. Find yeah. a different angle, find, you know, figure out what time of day to go there. If you see a characteristic that is happening with the light and you're, oh, I just missed it and you're close enough, go back the next day or go back when the weather is, is similar conditions. But find a way to make those shots your own. Um, 
as opposed to just being a facsimile of someone else's shot that's been shot over and over again for the last 20 years. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's where that thought of content comes in because I think we try and over, um, try and put a level of importance on something that we're doing by saying it's content rather than just an image. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, because content is, you know, there's, it has this connotation that there's mass quantities of it and it's easy to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't think that that's healthy. Um, I don't think that, um, saying, you know, describing our artwork and our, our hard fought images as content is kind of like saying I went out and I bought a box of Q-tips, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot in the box and they all look the same, right? Is that what you're saying about, you know, images? No, because we, every image that we share, whether you want to admit it or not, um, there's an emotional attachment to that image. It's an experience that you've had. So why are we decreasing the emotional quotient and and not educating our viewers on what it takes to create these images um sometimes on a daily basis for their enjoyment and consumption um you know it's it's and when we get into that we've all gotten into that rat race of oh it's you know i haven't posted in you know 12 hours or 24 hours or 48 hours you know um and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And we're all concerned about how our content is going to be consumed and how it's going to be, how much exposure we're going to get because we're at the hands of an algorithm somewhere, you know, like, you know, look, if you're just starting out, like, learn the craft. Right. Learn the craft and have fun. And yeah. stop being concerned about numbers. Numbers come when either you're providing something of value to other people or you just just be a human being um right just engage with people if you have questions send a dm if you have you know or comment if you you know i think we're so concerned with numbers um and how are people going to see me um that we're losing the real reason why we're going out and capturing these moments because they inspire us personally so why not share that level of joy and inspiration and awe in a way that makes people want to go out and do it for themselves not for numbers but for the joy of those moments that you take with you I love it. I love it. Yeah. And the truer words were never spoken, man. I mean, yeah, you hit on a lot of good points there. And one, one of them is, you know, kind of akin to that. There's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So, and true, it's true. There's, there's really not a whole lot new under the sun. Uh, and many photographs that you admire or many, a lot of photographs have already been taken, but not taken by you. Right. So if you go to a spot, chances are, unless you are some robot, you know, you're not going to be there at the same time, at the same height, at the same weather, at the same a bunch of variables as another person. And even if you are, even if it's a similar shot, you will understand what it took to make that particular shot when you do it versus just looking at it. And then when you go, when you want to recreate it or go do something else, you carry that knowledge forward with you to do do something else so yeah i i'm glad you said that i agree with that that and i get struck by that as well like yeah i'm here in the bay area in the in the northern california and you know i'll go to yosemite i'll go to napa i'll go to you know down san francisco and the golden gate bridge and the bay bridge and i look at these iconic places and i always think man these landscape photographers really have something special because I come here and I look at these and I just see, you know, I don't know what I can do. How do, how do I add to the equation? You know, is my shot really necessary when it's been done to death? And like you're saying, right, yeah, right. It, it kind of is because it's never been done by me. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, let's wrap up on this. So if, if folks want to, 
hire you or follow you or check out some of the shots we you know the you know, we'll share some shots that we've been discussing in the blog post the show notes for this episode um but where should people go i mean do all roads lead to your website do all roads lead to instagram facebook twitter what's how do you where would you like them to go yeah i would say probably um the the most up-to-date and um place to see um my work is going to be the Instagram. I'm trying to um, do a little bit more on Twitter because it seems as though the community has slid over to Twitter um, hmm. over these last from six Instagram or seven to months. Twitter. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the with the advent of, you know, we're in this new digital blockchain, crypto, NFT um, world. Um, the discovery of that um, entering into the mainstream um, in our creative communities. Um, first really kind of showed up in Twitter clubhouse, um, I don't know, eight, nine months ago where it really started to pick up some steam. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously it's been around for a while. Um, it's just, I feel like, um, from my limited experience, um, that's when it really started to kind of pick up some steam where creatives felt like this is a place where I can do well for myself. So clubhouse, um, that chatting and talking as well as Twitter um, where there is a community of creatives that it makes it feel kind of like the old Instagram um, where, you know, before algorithms um, <laughs> were, were, were in place, um, there's a level of um, support that I haven't felt and excitement that I haven't felt in a while over on Twitter. Now, that being said, yes, my largest audience and most of my up, more up-to-date images are on Instagram. And I think any type of contact that you need, you know, contact points are there. Um, my website is there. It's clickable to that. Um, email is always a, a great way to catch my attention. Um, and I feel like I will take it more seriously than a DM that just starts out with hello and then nothing else um <laughs> because i can't man i can't uh, like yeah let's let's get it moving here those days uh, are still, over i'm still those... from new york you know what i mean so i'm like let's you know let me know what you're talking about and let's don't let's waste my moving. time yeah um spit it out so yeah emails are always the, probably the the strongest way for me to and when i get an email to my business account i'm like everything stops you know and i'm like okay what is this person saying um still i get some interesting emails but uh regardless it, it it gives me a moment of pause and let me see what what we're working with here so yeah i would yeah. say instagram for the most up to date and then email and website you know there's a contact uh point on my uh website as well which shows a little bit more than just my landscape cityscape aerial stuff um so you have an idea of other things that i do love it love it congratulations and all the stuff you're doing what's uh what's coming up for paul seibert in the in the future what's your what's the next thing that you're going to be working on um well uh i would say the two biggest things right now um i am finishing up what i hope to be the first season of uh writing directing and hosting a series for canon on their youtube uh page um first episode should be coming out sometime soon um, nice so stay tuned uh that's that was a big part of uh my summer work um and um as i mentioned before um i have a book coming out in march uh published by rizzoli books uh, it's called new york from the air and nice. it is uh my aerial and elevated perspectives of new york city and uh so yeah so coming to a bookstore near you in you know end of the first quarter something like that i think that's so cool man you got a lot going on congratulations and thanks and two things one it was a pleasure meeting you and chatting with you i had a chance to do it twice and two sorry for having you do this twice (laughs) (laughs) look if it doesn't work this time we're We're out we're 
I'm yeah, get a, a string and a solo cup, and I'll just have somebody <laughs> drive it out to California. We'll do it that way. I know, I know. If this audio is low. Prepare for a text-only episode of this week in photo, where it's just paragraphs of discussion back and forth. Right. Well, cool, man. Review the transcripts of this podcast, please. I know, I know. Oh, God, yeah, the no, life of a podcaster. Great. I had a, I had a great time um, both times, um, and I liked. I liked the varying conversations, so um, it's always fun. And uh, if you want, uh, I can't do it tomorrow because it's my anniversary. But Saturday, if you want to do another one, you know, let's. <laughs> Actually, let's we have fun. to. Do, we have to do it on your anniversary, man. Come on, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, live I'm a sorry. little, live a little. <laughs> just bring bring an iPad to dinner with you and just set it up, and we'll, you know, I'll yeah. be at the table with you guys while you have dinner. So come yeah. on. <laughs> that might be the most controversial episode you've ever had. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> the intrusion of Frederick Van Johnson. That's it. Uh, cool. Man. All right. We will leave it right there. Paul Seibert, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. This is Twitter.